today we are beginning a series that really will mark the end of our time studying the Sermon on the Mount. And we're, we're taking this idea of the road less traveled and kind of going through that and thinking about it because last week you kind of heard from Danny Parmalee as he taught on the golden rule. And that really ended the teaching portion of the Sermon on the Mount. There's not any more that Jesus is going to be giving to people in terms of instruction. What he's really doing is kind of uh, concluding and summing up for his listeners who were present and those of us who are reading it today where the sermon has been and where it's going. And I want you to consider something for just a second because as Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, it's recorded for us Matthew 5, 6, and 7. A couple of things kind of might slip through without us thinking about it. Up until this point, no one who's listening to what he says believes that he's the Christ. He's just a teacher, right? His disciples have yet to make the good confession. Peter's later going to say, as Jesus says, who do people say that I am? He's going to say, some say that you're a prophet or, or you're like Elijah come back from the dead or you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And he says, I believe you are the Christ the son of the living God. That's the good confession. It, it's the great confession of our faith that I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. At this point, his family doesn't believe that he is the Messiah fully because you'll remember that at a certain point as he's teaching and doing miracles, it's recorded for us that his family comes and gets him to take him home because they think he's ill. They think he's mental. They think that he's struggling. And so it's at this point that we find this happening and taking place and as we do, I want you to see something else in this. At this point, none of the religious leaders are even ready to take his life. They're not ready to do that yet because they haven't connected what he's fully saying, but he's about to change all of that. So far, Jesus sounds like a unique teacher. Up until this point in the sermon, Jesus has been telling everyone who would listen how they need to live their lives, how they need to change the morality of their lives. He's giving them this new moral ethic. You may have said this uh, from the beginning. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and you just try to apply this new moral ethic without realizing who Jesus Christ is, you don't have a chance. Because remember, God gave us these Ten Commandments and you think, well, that's good enough, right? I, I'm not gonna murder somebody. And Jesus says, listen, that's not gonna cut it. You can't hate people. Oh, wow. Okay, the Ten Commandments said, don't commit adultery. And you say, well, that's good. I haven't done that. And Jesus says, no, it's not good enough just not to commit adultery. You don't need to lust in your heart. So you have all of this happening and, and you understand that, that people are seeing this heightened out in their lives and, and they don't know what to do with it. But it didn't even stop there. Jesus says, don't even act with retribution. Turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you to go one mile, you go two with them. If they persecute you, you just keep walking with them. And what Jesus is teaching us from the Sermon on the Mount is radical because it actually takes all the focus away from us and it puts it back on serving and worshiping God. And it's at this point Jesus calls all of us, his listeners, those of us who are reading this, to action. To action. He wasn't interested in getting approval or a congratulatory applause at the end of this sermon on the mount. Jesus is looking for action. He's asking something from the listeners. He's asking something from those of us who are readers. And as I read this today to us in just a minute, I want to remind you of something Jesus repeated often 
when he spoke. He called his listeners to action and he demands the same thing from us. It's not enough for you to sit back and passively say, I understand what you're saying. I receive the instruction. I even agree with it. Great teacher, you're a good guy. This is unique. This is unlike anything I've ever heard. There's action that must be taken. Jesus isn't a philosopher. He's the son of God. And what we're about to read is going to change everything. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 13. And as you do that, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning that maybe you think about but you don't always do. Would you please take your cell phone and turn it off? Put it away. Because what we're going to be studying this morning, listen to me, eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. Not what I have to say is so important, but what Jesus has to say is so important this morning. And that's more important than any email or Facebook message or text message that you could get. And I'm going to ask you to just really vector in with us this morning and pay close, close attention to what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Because it's my desire that you hear from the Holy Spirit this morning because what he's going to be speaking to us is of utmost importance. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And we've come to the greatest section of application from the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus has looked at the crowd now and he's giving them a choice. And this choice carries the highest consequence because on the one hand is life and on the other hand is destruction. And there is no middle choice. Jesus is saying you can choose to enter through the narrow way and receive life or you can choose to walk the broad way that leads to destruction. And you do have a choice. And for all of us this morning, there's a choice. You have a choice about entering through the narrow way or entering through the broad way. But here's the choice that you don't have. You don't get a choice about staying here. We don't have that choice. You have a choice about entering through the narrow way or entering through the broad way. Because for all of us, there's a certain date that's coming that is unknown to us but is known to God. There's a date that will terminate our life here on earth. Your tombstone could be carved right now with your name and the date of your birth on it, but nobody knows the date of your death. That date is known only to God. And I want us to compare these two options for just a moment because eternity is literally hanging in the balance by what he says. The first option is called the narrow gate. And Jesus says it's small. And he said it could be small because very few people find it. And when they do find it, it's the way to life, eternal life. And that immediately might cause you to respond with this claim that says, well, that doesn't seem fair. Why would the gate be small? Why wouldn't Jesus just want everybody to get through it? And that would be a misunderstanding because it's not his desire that anyone should perish. His desire is that everyone should walk through that narrow gate. But why is it that so few people find it? Is it so hard to find because it's hidden? Both of those questions are valid, but they are answered elsewhere in the Bible. I want you to listen to the psalmist as he talks about this in Psalm 14, verse 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together and have become corrupt. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. Notice what it says. It says, first of all, that there is only a fool who would say that there is no God. If you're a person today who just happens to be here, and I don't think that you would be here if you believed that, unless somebody just drug you here this morning or guilt-tripped you into it. But listen to me. If you say there is no God, you're a fool. It means you have no understanding. Why would the scripture say that? The Bible says it's foolish because anyone can look around with their own eyes and recognize just from the beauty of creation that didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. It's not like poof, it just happened. How did it get here? How did we come here? Why do we have this God-shaped hole in our lives that causes us to look and search? Why? It's because there is a God who loves us and has created us. But secondly, the Bible says this, there's not one person who does good. Now listen to me, because in the church, we even have bad theology about this. Well, you know everybody's basically good. No, they're not. They're not. You're not, I'm not. And if you believe you're good apart from Christ, you're not. None of us are good. None of us are righteous. And the scripture says nobody's born good and is corrupted by society. It doesn't work that way. We're corrupted because we choose to be corrupted. It's our bent. It's what we want. We pine after it. We search after it. We desire it. We seek it at every opportunity. Now, what it's not saying here is that people can't do something good. People can do good things, but in their inmost being, they are corrupt, and that leads them to do something. They turn aside, and he says, all together. What he means by that is that they see the path of life, and they say, no thanks. I I see this over here, but no thanks. Now now listen to me for just a minute. You say, well, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of people seeking God. No, they're not. If people were seeking God, not just the churches in America, but the temples in America, the mosque in America, you would find them full of seekers. That's not the problem. Look around. That's not the problem. We don't have a space problem, do we? We, we, we have an issue that no one seeks after God. Why? Because they want to turn aside. They are debased in their character and they choose to do their own thing. And I think this is a perfect description of how humanity lives every day. They're uninterested in God because they're most interested in being their own gods. For most in the Western modern day, idolatry looks just like this. We worship ourselves, we worship nature, we worship money, we worship our children. We will worship any cheap substitute we can find. Because we don't want a God who controls our lives. But it's an illusion. You're worshiping a God. It's you. That's humanity's plight. That's the problem. We don't want to acknowledge God. And the reason only a few find the narrow gate is because people don't want to find it. They're happy to be left alone by God, to put him out of their minds, to not have to think about him, to not have to uh, interfere in their lives. And they say, I don't want to keep all the rules. I don't, want to, I don't want to have to do all that. I, 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 we can't get over ourselves. And so we're filled with selfish living. And that's a beautiful description of the broad way. The broad way that leads to destruction is only concerned with me, myself, and I. How can I live in pleasure? How can I chase all the things that make me happy? How can I do what I want to do? How can I live my life to find my purpose and be satisfied with what I want to do? It's easier to stay on the path that's broad than it is to make a wholesale change, which leads us to an important point. 
If you're not on the narrow path, you're not following Christ. It must be said at this point that the narrow path is not easy. It's not easy to take the less traveled path. In fact, it may seem counterintuitive. Why should I choose to do this? Because there are a lot of people I respect who, they don't believe in all of this. My friends aren't walking this way. Maybe not even my family does this. Why should I do this? Why should I abandon all of this to walk on this narrow, narrow way? Well, because Jesus said, Entering the narrow way was hard, but it was worth it. It's tough, fraught with danger in this life. When you enter the narrow way, people will ridicule you. They'll persecute you because you'll be different in the way you think and act. But this shouldn't be a surprise to us because we've been reading early on that Jesus called this a blessing. Listen to what he said in Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now that doesn't sound like a joy or a blessing, does it? It doesn't sound great to be persecuted. It doesn't sound great to be ridiculed. Everything inside of me can't stand that. And maybe you feel the same way. I don't want people criticizing me. I don't want people making fun of me. I don't want to have to answer the questions about why I'm different. I don't want to have to deal with that. But Jesus said it's a blessing. Because when I understand that I'm like Jesus, this begins to make perfect sense. Because the narrow narrow way has led me on a narrow path. And Jesus is the doorway that leads to eternal life. He said so himself. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You see, Jesus is the entrance to eternal life. No one can have eternal life without coming through him because he died in our place. And entering by the narrow gate means stepping off the comfortable path and leaving everything that you have ever known and stepping into this new narrow way and moving on the path that he has laid out for us. It means that an easy believism will not cut it. If your life still looks like the world, you haven't found the narrow way yet. Listen to me, church. If your life looks like the world, you haven't found the narrow way. It doesn't work. This idea that I can say, Jesus is great, and so is everything else that I want to keep with me. Nope. Will not work. It doesn't work for us to look just like the world and then just claim the name of Christ and say, I made a decision one time when I was a child. I made a decision when I was a teenager, and I'm good to go. I haven't changed anything. Nothing is different. I'm still on the Broadway. I've just got Jesus with me. You can't have it both ways. It will not work. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can't do it. You have to abandon the path that you're on. And this means wholesale abandonment. It means that we practice those things that define us moving forward with Jesus Christ. It's a practice of abandonment. You have to practice abandoning the old life day after day. It it means setting aside the things that were most comfortable to you so that you can live the new life in Jesus Christ, which you have been raised up for. This is almost like a person who wants the shortcut. An easy believism is a shortcut. Kind of like somebody who would say, you know what, I really need to get healthier. I'm going to get fit this year. I've identified a gym I'm going to go there. They've got a trainer. I believe in the trainer's priority in my life. I believe in what they're going to help me with. I believe that if I work out, I'll get better. I've hired a dietitian, and I believe that she knows what she's talking about. 
And if she speaks into my life and I follow these things, it will work. But you know what? I don't really have time for it, but I believe in it. That's faulty logic. No one ever got in shape by believing in their trainer. No one ever got in shape by believing in their dietitian. You have to abandon the old ways. You can't stay out late every night because you've got to get up at 6 in the morning to meet the trainer. You've got to go through your house and clean out all the junk food, right? Because now you're making decisions that are morning, noon, and night. All the snacks, the candies, they have to go because the dietitian said that won't work. You have to practice self-control. It's every day of your life. It doesn't do any good to believe in all of that. You have to abandon the old way to practice all of that. It won't work. And yet so many of us are trying to do that now. I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my guy. But he never changed anything, and I'm not going to change anything. I read the scripture, and I go, yeah, but that's not really what it means. Yeah, but, you know, I understand that. But, you know, guys, easy believism will not save you. That's not what Lord of all means. Don't fall for the lie that says Jesus just wants to love you the way you are and nothing has to change. The invitation to come to Jesus is one to come and die. To die. To die to yourself. To die to your sin. To die to the old way of life. It is a radical shift in your life from one path to the other. And if you don't understand this and try to circumvent the process, you're going to find yourself, as it's described just a few verses later, look at Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. You see what Jesus is saying is, on the day of judgment, there's plenty of people who know about me. There's plenty of people who have a vocabulary that includes me, but I don't know you. You knew about me, you had a vocabulary, you could speak about it, but I don't know you. Why? Because you never did the will of my Father. It's a call to action. They knew about him, but they didn't know that they had to change. Too many people think that this vocabulary is enough. And they believe that nothing has to change. I can just come to Jesus, he loves me, he will accept me, and I'm good. And once I believe all the right things, I can just check that off and keep living any old way that I want to. Find it and prove it. You can't. It's a lie of the age. It's a lie of our culture. It's a lie of some of the church that say, just come, just come. You don't have to change anything. But Jesus said, you come and die. Take up your cross and follow me. And when I'm Lord of your life, then we'll know. I think another lie we believe is that we can just have it all. I can have Jesus. I can keep my old habits. I can live any way I choose to live. I can essentially have the best of the narrow path and the broad path. I can straddle both paths, moving back and forth, Anytime that I choose, I can just oscillate between them. It'll be fine. It doesn't work. Because we just read that only those who do the will of the Father will enter. This narrow path is a call to the action of abandonment. Abandon the easy way. Abandon the way filled with partying and consuming and just living for pleasure. 
You have to abandon the crowd that says, everything is fine. Don't worry about it. It will all work out. Just keep on walking with us. You can have it all. You can do whatever you want to do. But Jesus says, no, you must abandon it and walk the narrow path. And you have to leave so much behind in order to gain eternal life. Some of us this morning might be saying that, I believe what you're saying, Pastor, but I'm waiting for the right time. I'm waiting. I just... I'm checking it out and I'm waiting because I believe that I'll have some things I need to get in order and I want to just say to you this morning, the failure to make a choice is making a choice. There is no passivity in this passage. You must choose. There is no ability for us to say, I'll get it done later because you can't gamble against time. You don't have the luxury of time. You believe that time may be on your side, but you don't know if you have minutes, seconds, months, or years. And those who would procrastinate and bet against time seldom win. They seldom win. Because the longer you walk the broad path, the harder it is to get to the narrow path. Because if you're not careful, listen to me this morning, if you're not careful, you will harden your heart to the things of God and you will miss your opportunity. You'll miss it. The scripture says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek him now. Seek him while you have an opportunity because the day of your death, the opportunity is over. There is no second chance. There is no time to change the path that you're on then. There is no chance for us to say at that moment, oh, I realize at this point, I want to slip right in by the skin of my teeth. Too late. While there's breath in your lungs, life in you, you must choose life. It's the narrow path. Entering into the narrow gate also means that you abandon all other hopes of gaining eternal life. A number of years ago, I was traveling through Florida, and I saw one of the most interesting church signs that I've ever seen. It was a church Christian in name, but it said something like this. Yahweh of the Jews, Allah of the Muslims, Jesus of the Christians, Grant us peace. Nope. You say you're very narrow-minded. I'm not. Jesus was. Jesus was extremely narrow-minded. He was exclusive in his claims. He didn't say, hey, check it out. I'm one of the ways that you can get there. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, not one, no one will enter into the Father's house except through me. No one. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus said that's the only way. So you have a decision to make today. Are you going to try to get there by other means? Or will you abandon those means and put your faith in Christ? You can't, you can't rely on anything else. And so many of us try to do that. We think that we can uh, get there by the way that we want to live. You know, my moral code, I'm a good person. But listen to me. You're volunteering for a, a nonprofit or your philanthropy to a nonprofit or you taking care of someone. It's not enough because the moral code is not the standard. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That's the standard. All of these things are man's ways of trying to earn their way to heaven. And it won't work. It can't be possible. 
many on the Broadway have things like I've just described on their spiritual resume. I volunteer. I try to do right by people. As we've talked about before in here, I've never killed anyone. Well, good for you. Thank you for that. Won't cut it. I know about you. I can speak the vocabulary. I know the lingo. Lord, let me in. Will not cut it. Because as long as we think we control our destiny, we're under the illusion of control that these things have to offer. Jesus bids you come and die. The call to repentance is a call to change your thinking. It means a change of direction. I'm a traveler on the road traveling this way, and repentance means that I literally change directions and go a different way. The broad path that seems so easy that everybody's walking on, I have to change directions and say, no, I'm walking a narrow way. There won't be many traveling with me. I may look weird when I go to school. I may seem funny when I'm in the workplace, but Jesus has called me to a narrow gate and he is the narrow gate and it's the only way that I can get to heaven. When you come to the end of yourself and you're ready to abandon the broad path that leads to destruction, what you find is the gate is open for you by Jesus' death on the cross. You'll, you'll find that he is the one who lived the perfect life and died in your place so that you wouldn't have to pay for one of your sins, that Jesus Christ died in your place on the cross paying for your sins. And the scripture says that he was buried in a tomb and the scripture says that he rose again victorious over that grave and that if we would trust him, place our faith in him, not in what we can do, not in our own abilities, not in our moral standing, not in our spiritual resume, but that if we would do that and we would call upon his name, believing that he had risen from the dead and confessing him as Lord, there's no easy believism that says Jesus is Lord. It won't work. When Jesus is Lord, that means he gets in your business, folks. It means that he messes with things. Things that you'd rather him not mess with. He comes in and says, no, that's not going to work anymore. What do, you, what do you mean? I gave you my life. Right, well, give it to me then. I, I gave it to you, but don't touch that. No, no, I got to get in here. This isn't right. That's what he does to all of us. The Holy Spirit's refining our lives and working in our lives because Jesus isn't content for us to stay on the broad path. And when you call him Lord, Lord of all, Lord of creation, Lord of your life, if you would do that, you will enter through the narrow gate. And that's the way to life, everlasting life. For those of us this morning who have claimed the name of Christ over our futures, there's something about this passage that just came up over and over and over again this week. The call to the narrow way, it was extended to us. We received it at some point. But we would be wise to remember this morning that it is a continual path of abandonment even for us. That there is, is no turning back. That we are called to live on a narrow path from the moment we accept Christ until he calls us home. This is a call for holiness. And you just don't hear anyone talk about holiness anymore. You hear him talk about happiness all the day long. Jesus doesn't care if you're happy. He never said be happy as I am happy. He said be holy as I am holy. 
We should stop worrying about our happiness so much and worry about holiness and ask the Holy Spirit to work his wonderful work in our lives of transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, God's concerned about holiness. Our lives are to be marked by doing the will of the Father who's in heaven. And that's got to mean that there's a difference in a student who claims the name of Jesus and one who doesn't. There's got to be a difference. There's got to be a difference in the places you go, the things that you listen to, the things that come out of your mouth. There's got to be a difference. It means for a mom and a dad this morning, there's got to be a difference in the way that you're raising your kids. I don't hear us talk about some of the things that I think we should be talking about. We talk about things that the world talks about all the time. If your greatest aim is for your kids to get a scholarship, how are you leading them to the narrow path? Is that all we can talk about? Achievement, performance, asking us to be able to do all these things. That's the world's stuff. If you want your kids to enter into the narrow way, Talk less to them about scholarship and recognition and pleasure and show them the narrow way by teaching them that doing the same things that everybody else does won't get there. It would be reasonable, wouldn't it, to believe that our highest hope would be to raise children in this church who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the goal. That should be the consuming passion of our families Is it yours? And I don't mean like, oh, yes, it is. I mean, is it yours? Is that your passion? Is that what you want your kids to come away with? Is that what you want them to be when they grow up? Because if you're hoping your kids get on the narrow way, but this isn't a priority for you because everything else comes first, you're hoping against hope. They're going to live what you've taught them. They're going to be who you raised them to be. Don't you think, church, that this would make it different for a businessman or businesswoman when they walked into the office on Monday? That the narrow way should define some things that are totally on the course of action and some things that are off limits? Don't you think that when you walked into your workplace that living on the narrow way would change things because you were doing the will of the Father? Wouldn't a person who was walking on the narrow way have a different perspective than a coworker who's walking on the way to destruction? Wouldn't their priority list be different? Wouldn't the things that they're trying to achieve be different? As long as we're straddling the two ways of thinking, we're lost. We're lost. Our bearings aren't right. And today, I want to call you as a church to the narrow way. And what that means for us is a couple of different things. One, if you've never given your life to Christ, today is the day. How long will you waver between two opinions? Either serve the God of this world or serve Jesus Christ. But choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because tomorrow is not promised. And I plead with you, you are betting against time and you will seldom win.
Give your life to Christ. He has paid it all. He has loved you with an everlasting love, but he has loved you so much he will not leave you the same way that you are today. He demands that you come and die to yourself and be raised to new life. And here's the thing. If you will die to yourself, it hurts. It's painful. It's hard to give up all of those things. It's hard to practice abandonment. But when you do, what you find is life and life abundantly. It's there. And I would call us to it to this as a church. And are we just playing around or what? Like when I read this passage of scripture, do you read that and think it's about them? Like, oh man, those people need to get on the narrow way, whoever those people are. When I read this passage of scripture, it rocks me to my core. Because what I don't want to do is be somebody who's a professor of Jesus Christ, but a holder of all my other stuff over here. Yep, vocabulary, got it. I can put my little clothes on, go to church on Sunday. I can say the right things. I know the words to the songs. I know when we should stand up. I know when we should sit down. I know what happens on Wednesday. I know all the stuff, but I got all my stuff too. Because the narrow way is about holiness. And if we think that it's anything but that, we're missing it. We're deluded by the God of this age who tells us that pleasure is the highest aim of our lives and we should seek it continually because pleasure is all that matters. It's not. That's broad way thinking. Narrow way thinking may cause some of us this morning to say, it's time for me to rededicate my life. And there's some stuff that needs to be abandoned today because it can't go forward. Great sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, until you get to this point because now it's a call for action and you got a choice to make and not choosing is making a choice. I want to ask you to bow your heads and Close your eyes. I want to ask all of you just to take a moment and really consider this question. Are you saved? Are you walking the narrow way? Are you 100% certain about it? Has there been a time in your life when you came to the end of yourself And not just picked up a few new vocabulary words, but abandoned the old life and gave your life to Christ. If you've never done that, I want to just tell you, there's a way to get there. And it's not easy because it's hard to abandon all of these things. It's tough. Anybody who tells you it's a piece of cake isn't telling you the truth. But the way to get there is through Jesus Christ. If you would repent of your sins, change your mind on those things. I've been living this way and I thought it was good, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. The Bible says this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it says that if we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross that he was buried and rose again, 
and we confess him as Lord, the scripture says we will be saved. Changed in an instant and set on the narrow path. Have you done that this morning? Have you done it? If you've never given your life to Christ, don't put it off. Just in the quietness of your heart, say something like this to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I've lived my whole life trying to do my own thing. And today, I'm changing directions and I'm going to follow you. I believe that you are God's son, that you died on the cross in my place, and that you rose from the grave. Save me today. Change me today. You're the Lord going forward, and I give my life to you. Thank you for saving. Now maybe today's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like that and meant it. And you didn't mean it for vocabulary. You didn't mean it just to kind of do something. You meant it because you were ready to be saved. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation time where we respond to this. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to ask you to step out of wherever you're seated, all around the auditorium, and come forward and tell me that you've just given your life to Christ. You say, why would I have to do that in front of all these people? Pastor, why would I need to do that? Because Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. Believer, have you been trying to hold on to some stuff from the old life? Have you lost your bearings? Because the call to the narrow way wasn't just a one-time thing. It's a daily call to walk the narrow way. Have you been more concerned with happiness than holiness? If you have, it's time to stop for just a moment and take an inventory of what's going on in your life and ask the Holy Spirit what doesn't need to be there. If you ask him, he'll tell you. Maybe today it's time for you to set things back on course, to confess sin, abandon some things, maybe a relationship, maybe a habit, maybe an addiction, and just say, I'm going forward with Jesus today. And maybe for you, it'd be just as important for you to publicly declare that to your church family and say, I'm rededicating my life today. I'm walking the narrow path. And in a moment as we sing, you'll be able to respond by praying at the altar if you need to or come tell me. Let us walk with you as you take that next step of following Jesus. Heavenly Father is... We've read your word today. It's troubling. It's troubling because all of us have to look at it and really make certain, number one, 
that you are the Lord of our lives. And secondly, Lord, it's troubling because we recognize how easy it is for us to want to drift towards the broad path. We don't like to give up the things that we have in our lives. We don't like you meddling in our lives, but you are Lord, so they are your lives to begin with. So Father, today, could we stand with open hands and say, we want to be concerned with holiness just as much as you are. We want to live in a way that honors you and points people to the cross of Christ. For the ones in here this morning who are standing between life and death, Father, I pray they would choose life. Would you move in their lives, Holy Spirit, to confirm salvation, convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment, and let us see it and be aware this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.